TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. Welcome into the Score North Twin Show. As always, uh, Judd Zolgat, Jake DePew with you, talking about the past week. And Jake, I want to start here. Um, and I want to run this opinion past you. I, I don't consider this to be a hot take. Uh, but it's an opinion that I have, and it's why I, panic's probably not the right word, although I do like to panic. Uh, it's probably why I get concerned when it's not going well for him or he's hurt. Um, Byron Buxton has a skill set that when Byron Buxton is going well, when Byron Buxton can play, when he can hit, um, Byron Buxton is one of maybe five current big leaguers who can do what Byron Buxton can do. And by that, I mean this. If, if Sano is going great guns, right? Like, let's say he is he is having the best week or two weeks possible. He is hitting home runs. He's playing really well. But he doesn't have a skill set that you say, oh, my God, the multitude of things that Miguel Sano can do here, knock your socks off. Am I right in saying that the amount of things Buxton can do, hit for power, speed, defense, when he is going well, make him a guy who there there might be four more of him playing in the big leagues right now, but that might, that might be too much. It might be like three guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about it. He's a true five tool player. And when he's hitting, uh, especially hitting for power the way he is right now, he's an MVP candidate. I mean, he, is he Mike Trout? No. Uh, but his defense is certainly better than Trout. Um, I, I just view him as, like you said, a very unique player because of his speed. And most guys that have that type of speed, like Billy Hamilton, don't hit for power the way Buxton does. And it's interesting because he puts these swings on the ball. You know, his swing is not necessarily a thing of beauty. And he puts some swings on the ball where you think this is going to be a routine fly out to, to left field because he's sort of like, you know, getting ahead of him. His upper half is getting ahead of himself and he's like lunging at the ball. And sometimes he doesn't even fully follow through on his swing. And then it goes out and it goes 400 plus feet. And you think, my God, this guy is a superstar. When he is right and healthy and hitting, he's an absolute superstar. Uh, And we've seen that. I mean, he's won them a couple of games here with with his power. Uh, He had a two-home run game the other day. And, you know, he's legging out infield singles, too. And, boy, when you combine all of it, he's just a dynamic player. I mean, everybody knows it at this point with Buxton, right? It's just a matter of him being able to, to put it all together and to stay healthy. And, and that's always, you know, he's always one wall collision or one sort of fluke injury away from hitting the IL and missing a bunch of time. But right now, man, he looks great. And he's why, he's why um, when p- people get, get mad and say, well, he's always hurt, so give up, right? Or he's struggling again. It's why I'm like, no, no, no. I'm concerned. But he has a multitude of skill set that is so wide that this is why, look, if Sano goes south and they trade him, I'm not going to sit here and rail and say, what are the Twins doing? David Ortiz just walked, right? I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of players who I think, you know, if they get hurt or they get traded, you're just like, that's too bad. But, but with Buxton, the reason why I think that you and me and, and lots of people that watch the Twins on a regular basis are so fixated with what could be is because when we see it, it's so special. It's not just like one thing. Oh, we've seen power before, and he's got power. It's this wide range of things. And and as much as there are people who hate this uh, metric, 
Byron Buxton to me is why war was created. Yes. Like if a guy hits home runs, oh, he's got a good war. Oh, okay, cool. Because he hits home runs, right? But like if you're trying to give me a metric that just measures everything, uh, when Buxton's going well, you almost say to yourself, okay, give me his war. Because I can't really tell. Because there's so m- many things that Buxton can potentially do. Um, so I just go back to the reason why when Buxton crashes into a wall, it, 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 it POs you so much is because you say, was it really worth catching that ball in the third in Cleveland to miss five games that if you're playing well, he could have an impact in so many different ways on yeah, so, so I saw Baseball Reference actually retweeted this, tweeted out the other day that he already has a 1.1 war, which he's accumulated in 15 games. And for people not familiar with war, uh, that is incredibly impressive, right? So they, they, uh, the, the tweet from Baseball Reference said that it's equivalent to like a 12-war season, which is, I mean, Mike Trout doesn't have 12-war seasons. Um, so what he's doing right now is unbelievable. Uh, and... You're right. With Sano, Sano's an interesting player. He's fun when he hits long home runs, but he's a very replaceable player, right? There are lots of first basemen who are average defensively and have power. Uh, and so, yeah, if the Twins traded him, you know, it would be, I guess, unfortunate. I mean, it depends on what the return is, but he's, he's not a unique player. Buxton is so unique because of that speed-power combo. Uh, and, and I think he's realizing it. There've been a lot of stories that have come out about how he's jumping. And I know you asked him about this in spring training, but about how he's jumping off of two feet. Now he doesn't seem like he's colliding into walls with the same force that he has in the past. I think he gets it. And I think part of what makes him such an interesting story is we've been following Buxton for close to a decade now, right? He was drafted in what, 2011, 2012. He had a number of, you know, he was a top prospect, but had a number of injuries to the minors and has had all these injuries in the majors. And we keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And because most of them aren't self-inflicted, but fluke injuries, you sort of feel bad for him. And the twins held him down in 2018 and that pissed him off and that changed his mentality. And I think most people sided with Buxton in that. And so you root for the guy because he's been through a lot. You root for good stories, right? As a, as a journalist and, and he's a good story. And to see him put it all together now is great. But again, I hate to say this and I hate to be the negative guy, but you know, we saw this last year. We were having these same conversations last year yeah. and then he got hurt. So I really hope that he can maintain this and get through a full season because if he does and he's healthy in October, it's a totally different ball game for the twins. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but it's worth it. It's worth it to talk about him in this vein because of what he can do. Like ordinarily, I, I'd be the first guy to bail. Like I would be, I'd be out. I'd just say, you can't stay healthy, screw it, right? Um, but because of the of what he can do, it's so intriguing. And and in this sport, I'm basically, I guess, trying to say it's just so damn rare. It's so rare because you, you often find guys that can do, let's say, two things well in baseball. But all five things, and when you're going well, and, and it's why um, before the Twins went, on this last trip, which we'll get into in a second, Jake, to view. It's why I was getting frustrated watching Buxton's at-bats because the at-bats were regressing and look like, and it's like, dude, come on, just look halfway decent. The one thing I want to say to to our colleagues out there in the business, though, is this. I think we're far too infatuated with, with Buxton's approach at the plate in the vein of you got your camp saying, just hit the ball on the ground, kid, and don't try and hit for power. And then you got your people saying, no, 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 shut up. He can do whatever he wants. 
any outcome of Buxton making contact is potentially good. Um, now, now, is it more fun when he hits the ball on the ground and causes nightmares for a third baseman and shortstops? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think we, we have too many people in the business doing analysis and commentary, Jake, who are too infatuated with one approach. I'll take it all. All I want to see is – this is a very small thing. All I want to see from Buxton at the plate is contact. From there on out, it's absolutely fine. But the frustrating thing is when, when he does go through these periods where he looks hopeless and lost, it's tough because you say to yourself, dude, if you can put the uh, bat on the ball, you're going to create problems. It could be home runs. It could be a bleep and bleeder to third. But no matter what it becomes, it's a problem. Yeah, in baseball in 2020, it's blasphemy to say hit the ball on the ground, right? It's all about hitting it in the air, launch angle, hitting home runs. And I think for a lot of players, the Josh Donaldson types, that, that approach for sure makes sense. But with Buxton, it's different. I mean, any ground ball, any routine ground ball to the left side is a potential infield hit. We saw it in Milwaukee. He got a bunch of them. Um, and I think when he goes through those stretches – where he's not making contact in the past, it's been because he's listened to too many voices. There were so many voices telling him to do so many different things. Uh, and I, I, I remember interviewing him at Fenway, um, and this was uh, one, of, one of my few stories that has gone viral, when he basically said, I'm trying to just hit the ball on the ground to beat it out or force an error, because at least that gives me a chance. And everybody went crazy with that quote, and everybody hated it. And I thought, but this is Byron Buxton. He's the fastest guy in the league. And if he wants to bunt, he should bunt, right? I mean, obviously not right now when he's going so well at the plate. But, like, to your point, any sort of contact other than weak, you know, routine fly balls to the outfield produces a potentially good outcome for Buxton. And so I think he's figured out more who he is as a hitter. I think he's figured out who to listen to and who not to listen to. I think James Rousen was huge in his development. Yes, he's talked about that a lot. Yeah. Rousen obviously did a great job. I mean, he transformed a number of, of hitters and, and reaped the rewards in 2019. Uh, but, but I think Buxton is far along now where he knows what to filter out, yep. you know? And, and it's not that he's uncoachable because I don't think that's the case at all. It's just that he knows who he is. He knows his approach. Uh, and he's figured some things out now at 26. That's what's crazy about Buxton. We've been talking about him for so long. It seems like he should be 30. But he's 26. He's just doing his prime. I uh, know. Exactly. And what will be so, interesting is to see right. if the Twins end up extending him. Right? Because it's such a risk with him, with the injury. It, but the reward is huge. It is, but I – okay. It is a risk. But, Jake, I'd almost take it because, because you're right. And, and, again, the question becomes when Byron Buxton's going well. Like, let's say you decide not to. And he walks or you trade him. You can't replace that. And that potential, you can't replace that. I mean, you could trade a lot of players tomorrow and replace their skill set instantly. Um, it might not be the same, but you could do it. But Byron Buxton, if he can turn a corner here and he can stay on the field, and let's just say he goes through some good and, and bad, but I, I keep going back to my ultimate point about him if he stays healthy Jacob you if this guy hits um like let's say it's 255 he's a huge threat still he's a huge threat like you don't need him he doesn't need to be 295 it'd be nice um but if he hits 255 and can go through periods where he makes 
a lot of solid contact and and remains one of, if not the best defensive outfielder in the big leagues today. The temptation there, if you look at potential contracts, Barrios contract, Buxton, now Sonoke got extended on a relatively cheap deal, which speaks volumes about where he's at. Um, but if we're going to look at the Barrios contract and Buxton contract, and both of them come to me and they've got their own problems and they say, give me an extension right now, I'm extending Buxton right now. I mean, Barrios, I don't, I, I really do like him and I think he's a two, uh, but man, I still look at Buxton and what he can do when going well. And I say to myself, that's one of the more special players in the big leagues today. Here's what I wonder though. I wonder what his relationship is like with that front office because it was sour for a long time after they kept him down in 2018. And I don't blame him one bit. He, he played hurt that year. He came back before he should have and played hurt to try to help the team, got yep. hurt again, uh, went down on a rehab assignment, and then they optioned him and never brought him back up in September. And it was a clear service time manipulation. They would never admit that, but that's what it was. The Twins were going nowhere in 2018. If they had called him up in September, he would have hit free agency a year earlier. Uh, so they have control of him through 2022, and that's all well and good. But if you've severed that relationship, uh, that's not going to help in any sort of contract uh, extension talks. So I really do wonder how he feels about Falvey and Levine, if they've sort of made up or if he's thinking, I want to get to free agency and, and see what my true worth is. And I'm not going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt because they held me back for an entire year uh, in yep. 2018. Nash uh, potentially goes a long ways towards fixing that, obviously. Uh, the one thing that I will say, and this is not to the credit of the Twins, but it did work was, I've never seen him, uh, Buxton, come back with a chip on his shoulder and as ticked off as he was after he didn't get called back up that year. And that really was the first time where he finally sat down and said, I'm done listening to, you know, um, the Twins, Bat Boys. I'm done listening to the trainers. I'm done. I'm going to do at the plate what I do based on the advice and input of a few people. Um, but in a really weird way, the Twins did him a favor because I think Buxton's a really nice kid and yeah. I think he's a mellow dude. And that was the first time that I saw a fire lit under him that I really liked. And I liked the defiance because I was so sick of the, hey, hey, Byron, try it. a leg kick at the plate. Okay, I'll try that. No, try this. No, okay, I'll try that. And, and it was as if he got steamrolled until then. And he basically at that point said, screw you which in some ways can be bad, but for him, I think it was exactly the kick in the pants that went a long way towards defining his character now, which I like a lot more because it's, it's more jaded and it's probably more cocky, but he needed that. Absolutely, yeah. He gained a lot of, co in a weird way, he gained confidence from that, or yes. at, least, you know, at, at least the way he was sort of outwardly presenting himself. I do want to say this about Falvey and Levine because I think we have a tendency in this, in this media market to just praise them endlessly and they deserve a lot of praise, without question. They have been great, and I would not give those guys up uh, for, for anything. Uh, you know, they've transformed the franchise. But, you know, we talk about how, you know, they're such great guys, and they care about the players, and, and I'm sure that's true. But that Buxton move showed that, look, they're cutthroat GMs, just like, you know, Brody and, and all these other guys that we, you know, talk about who, who are just, you know, in it for the business and they don't care about the players or whatever. Like that was, I mean, think about how you would feel if you were Buxton, you know, that like that was such a clear service time manipulation play. And we yep. just 
to ignore that. You know, I mean, they got criticized for it, I think, at the time. They did. Talks about it anymore, and it's like, and I'm not saying it was even the wrong move. Although I, I probably would have called them up uh, if if I was in that position. But you know, let's be real about who these guys are. They've done a great job. I think they're they're great with the media. They seem like nice guys, but they're also gonna, uh, you know, screw over a, a player and manipulate their service time if it helps the team. Well, hell yeah, all baseball people will. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That, that's the code, right? Well, that's the code from the, would, from Terry the Ryan, would Terry Ryan have done that? Um, do we think Terry Ryan did that at times and, and hid behind the, the, I'm trying to get the best from this player and send a message because he did do that to players at different times, didn't call them back up. And at that time, the conversation always revolved around, well, he's trying to get, he's trying to get Dozier to come back more serious about things. Um, in Terry Ryan's own way, he definitely did, but I don't blame guys for that. I, I'm just saying I really like the fact that Buxton Buxton got mad, but it actually worked. Like yeah. it turned out to actually work. He got mad and you said, good, he's mad. And, and I do think, I think the thing that that did for Byron that was very important was, I think until then, Byron was trying to be the best employee possible. Like he was trying, like the Twins would tell him to do this. Okay, I'll go do, do that. And then no, do this. Um, I think that was fine. The first time that he finally drew a line in the sand and said, bleep off, which was great. So the Twins go uh, on a road trip. They win one, one of two in Pittsburgh, and you saw both games against the Pirates, Jake DePew. They were swept by the Royals. That Woo. was not good. And then uh, they come back and split the first two against the Brewers and then uh, kick the Brewers' heinies all around Miller Park in the third game. Your thoughts from a, a uh, road trip that came to an end on Wednesday, and the Twins now will start. I think it's a seven-game homestand four against the Royals and three against the Brewers that they will start on the day we're recording this, which is Friday. So that last game against the Brewers when they went up 12, nothing and one 12 2 that was by far the most important game of that series to me, because it showed that the offense is still there after really sort of sputtering throughout the road trip. And that had a potential, you know, if they lose that game, especially if they get another early lead and blow it as they had in a number of games, uh, as they have in a number of games this season, it's almost panic time at least for guys like you and me, uh, because that's a two and six road trip. Uh, you know, they're 11 and eight. They're barely holding on to first place in the central. I think that gave everybody sort of positive vibes coming back home. They take a series against uh, an interleague rival um, and Maeda pitched incredibly well. So my overall thoughts were that the Kansas city series was a disaster, uh, both in terms of the offense and uh, the bullpen management. I, I really thought Rocco did a poor job um, it, because those games were all competitive and he, he didn't pitch any of his top relievers and I didn't understand that. Uh, so the Kansas City series was definitely an unmitigated disaster. The Pittsburgh loss, the second Pittsburgh loss, you know, Rogers gave up some weak contact. I'm not going to, that was more fluky than anything, although the Romo appearance was not super positive. Uh, but that, that Milwaukee series got them back on track, I think. And so I'm not going to be in panic mode yet, but that last game was key. It really was. Absolutely, yeah. And they – so my question is this, though. As far as the potential panic goes in, within the confines of a discussion about the playoff race, what should the panic be based on, on the fact that eight teams from each league are going to make the playoffs? But the interesting thing about these – divisions for the most part is they're going to be jumbled like this is not going I we're we're not seeing teams uh take off and bury 
you know, the second or third place team. And what? So the top two teams from each division in each league are going to make the playoffs, Jake. And then there's going to be the next top two teams are going to get the uh, wild card spots. So what do you think the panic in in um, in regular season losses and slumps should be based on a big playoff field? But interestingly, what looks like it's going to be a very jumbled field as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough because there are eight teams that make the playoffs. It's really, really hard to see the Twins missing out. You know, I mean, I, I don't think. I'm with you. Yeah. I don't think the Twins are going to miss the playoffs. But I will say, you look at the Central, and I'm looking at the standings right now. The Twins have a one-and-a-half game lead on uh, Guardy's Detroit Tigers. And then Chicago and Cleveland are right there two games back. And even KC is only four games back. And so I just – I think that finishing in the top two in that division is not going to be a cakewalk. Everybody says, well, if they don't finish in the top two – you know, it's been a complete disaster. I'm not so sure about that. I don't know that Detroit keeps this up, but I do think Chicago and Cleveland are legit teams. And if one of those teams or both, say, sweeps uh, the Twins in a series, then you're suddenly looking at a three-way race. This has always been my concern uh, in the Central, is that the Twins get into a three-game race with Chicago and Cleveland. Everybody's beating each other, right? And they end up losing a season series to maybe one of those teams and thus lose the tiebreaker because there's no one-game playoff this year. If you lose six out of 10 to Cleveland, you lose the tiebreaker. And so if they end up in a situation where, say, uh, the, the Twins, White Sox, and Cleveland all end up, say, 33 and 27, or somewhere around that range, uh, they could end up as a third-place team, and then you're looking at a seven or eight seed uh, in the playoffs and a potential first-round matchup with, with the Yankees. So I don't see it as a foregone conclusion that they're going to finish in the top two. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think barring something COVID or something really, really crazy happening, I don't think they're going to miss altogether. But I do think you have to be concerned about, about finishing ahead of uh, either Chicago or Cleveland because those teams are both pretty good. Uh, Chicago has defensive issues, and they don't have pitching depth, but their offense is incredible. Yeah. Cleveland is weird, though, man. This whole, oh. whole thing with Clevenger and Plezak going okay. out and being morons. And, and I mean, that is – the type of off the field thing that will undermine a team instantly. And th- those guys are good too. Um, but to be that stupid and to be that, I don't know, short sighted about things. If I'm the twins, I'm thrilled because that's how, that's how a team that's not great, but certainly pretty good melts down because th- there's going to be fractures now. And, you know, and, and we've seen this from the quotes already from the clubhouse, there's going to be fractures with this team Frank Kona, uh, what, missed two weeks uh, because of a, a gastrointestinal problem. Uh, Cleveland scares me less less now based on the fact that I don't know that how quickly you recover from not one but two pretty important teammates being absolute idiots. Can we talk about that Zach Plesak, uh Instagram video that he posted yesterday? Did you watch that? Of course. I, I saw the quotes. I did not watch it. I saw the quotes. So – he start, so first of all, this is a video on public health, right, on COVID. He records this video while driving, records it on his phone, driving through presumably downtown Cleveland without a seatbelt on. The idiocy of that, of talking about a public health issue while driving around, looking at your phone and recording a video and not wearing a seatbelt, I could not get over the stupidity. Now, the other thing that he says is he starts it off by blaming the media, right? The media is terrible the way they've spun this story and made me, 
and and you know my teammate he never says Clevenger by name but my teammate and best friend you know that that we're they're dragging us through the mud look I get that public figures have adversarial relationships with the media I I think that's natural and I think the media does sometimes screw up. I'm not one of these people in the media who says the media is flawless that you should never attack the media ever now the sure. stuff that that our president does is ridiculous and and undermines a free press and that's a whole separate issue right I'm not of the opinion that that the media is blameless all the time I do think the media sometimes goes with the most clickbait story and then I can understand how that could piss off public figures at times right but you cannot blame the media for this story when your own teammates are ripping you far harder than the media. Right. It's just, it's yes. just so idiotic but, and absurd. But if you're the twins, this is great news. If you're the twins, you're thrilled because it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And this is the type of thing that can take a halfway decent ball club, which, you know, Cleveland offensively is not great, but the pitching's damn good. This could take a ball club and throw them into disarray for a couple weeks. And and in a 60-game season, you know, if you're the White Sox or the Twins, you're like, this is fantastic. Uh, So, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely stupid. It's selfish. uh, But it also is going to take them a while now. And, you know, to go back to my point, it's two good pitchers. So, if I'm the Twins or White Sox, I am thrilled that these idiots decided, you know what, let's just go out. I mean, it's going to be fine, right? After, you know, after the St. Louis Cardinals have played, what, five games? The Cardinals issued they, they um, issued a schedule for them today that has, like, double header, and the Twins now have to play two instead of – instead of two games in two days in St. Louis, they have to play two games in one day so the Cardinals could get an extra day off. Again, this goes back to my point, COVID baseball, if – if you play five games now, just send them home. Get rid of them. They're done. Like this whole thing about let's have them play a bunch of games. No, let's eliminate them from the season. See you next spring training. Be done with it. Yeah. Uh, if I'm the Twins, I like that, though. I like that it gets switched to a doubleheader because it gives you an extra off day. And yeah. that, that series was going to be just a two-game road trip. They just go yep. right down to St. Louis and back. They'll yep. probably only have to spend one night on the road. They fly down there the night before. They play two games and they fly back. So if I'm the twins, I'll take the off day. I'll take the extra man for the double header and limiting uh, time on the road. So I'm ha- I think that's a and good two game. short games too, right? And two short seven inning games. Seven inning games, yeah. Yep. So I will take that if I'm the twins, absolutely. But yeah, as far as the Cardinals, I mean, just it, get rid of them. It, End their season. Send them home. Give teams days off. I don't care. You know, the Cardinals. Bye. See you later. You played five games. You know, and okay. Let's blame them. Let's not. I don't care at this point. It's COVID baseball. Get rid of teams. Uh, Garver had three hits against the Brewers in the win on uh, Wednesday. Before that, Mitch at the plate looked lost. His confidence was absolutely shot. I mean, his at-bats were tough to watch. I I felt empathy uh, for him, Jake, trying to watch him hit. Do the three hits that that came in the leadoff spot on Wednesday, in your mind, do they – have they – turned him or are they going towards turning him around or are you still um, pessimistic because I will say this of all the guys that we've seen struggle so far his struggles actually concern me the most because he looked just completely lost for a while there yep and he doesn't have a track record either I mean last year was a a huge pop-up year uh, but he doesn't have a long track record that would suggest okay this is 40 at bats and he'll snap out of it um 
Yeah, I don't know what to make. I mean, it's certainly a, a, a good sign that he had three hits, uh, but that pitcher also was not good and was a soft-tossing, you know, lefty, uh, Gubber Mash's lefties. So I'm in wait-and-see mode with him. It, it's so hard because we have to judge these guys based on a small sample uh, because we're a third of the way through the season, right? After they play tonight, uh, we'll be, I believe, a third of the way through. So you have to, as you guys do on your show every day, you have to break down baseball like it's football. I am, I am concerned about Garver. He looks, he's swinging through like center cut fastballs, which he, he rarely did last year. Uh, His swing somehow looks different to me and, and I'm not an expert on, on hitting. So uh, take that for what it's worth. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a mind thing with him and he's talked about how, how challenging it is to play, uh, you know, COVID ball or whatever you want to call it. And and I don't know if that's affecting him. Um, so I, I'm in wait and see mode. I, it's it's concerning. I mean, he he looks lost. It's like with Sano. When Sano looks lost, you say, okay, we've seen this before. It's going to be really bad for a while, and then he's going to break out of it and and be really good for a while. Yeah. Uh, but but Garver doesn't really have that type of track record. So um, yeah, if he doesn't figure it out, it's a major problem for the Twins. I will say Ryan Jeffers is a very legit prospect. It could turn to him. Uh, In St. Paul, has- right? Mm-hmm. And Garver has options. I mean, it would not be inconceivable to to option him. I don't think they'll do that. But if- I said that exact thing. I, I said if this were April in a uh, year that was normal, Mitch strikes me as the exact guy that you'd say, hey, Mitch, we love you still. You're going to Rochester for two weeks. Work things out. But you just brought up, okay, you, you've brought up a subject that we have not broached yet on our shows. But the more I watch Mitch and reflect on what you said about his thoughts, I think that this is this is definitely part of the equation for some players, and it's probably not big, okay? So Mitch was asked, I think it was right before they started, it was probably during the uh, summer camp portion, about playing and opting out. And, like, my first thought was, he ain't going to opt out. He's One, he's good, he's healthy, he's not established en- enough to be comfortable opting out was my guess. So and, I thought that's, he needs, sorry to interrupt. He needs the service time. Because that's right. And he brought that up though. He brought that exact thing up. And so I, I thought, okay, that's intriguing, but am I buying this? Anyway, long story short, after watching him play, I think you hit on it. the biggest part of his problem. I think he is a really thoughtful guy. I think he's really intelligent and really thoughtful. And I think at the end of the day, playing baseball in 2020, bothers him i don't think he's comfortable here i think he preferred to go home and i'm not saying this as a slam but but the art of trying to hit a baseball which when you're 100 locked in is tough right the art of trying to do that consistently as well as he did in 2019 while distracted by the world around you i would guess is incredibly difficult and the more thought i gave this i think that garver's struggles are largely based on an approach that is not fully engaged because of who he is. Um, and I'm sure that, that we can find, you know, 20 players around the big leagues like this. But I think that's it. I think that's it. Because if you watch his at-bats, his confidence, there's a lot of sort of red flags. And ordinarily, you'd say, you know, are your parents sick or is something wrong with your wife? or You know, something like that. But I think it's trying to play COVID ball. And I don't blame him for one second. But I do think that there are guys who probably are playing 
because of service time, because of, of obligation. And they probably go to the ballpark and look around and think, there's no fans here. This is really weird. The St. Louis Bleep and Cardinals have played five games because they had a bad outbreak. Um, I think that a guy like Garver is largely distracted. Again, it's not a slam. It, it's, it's an analysis of what I think. Um, I don't even blame him. But I really believe that when you watch his approach at the plate, which just seems wildly off, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think – don't think. It can only hurt the ball club, right? Um, and I, I think that <laughs> that he is a smart guy. He's a cerebral, cerebral uh, guy. And it, he's – yeah, like you said, he's basically spoken to the media about this, that he – is having a difficult time focusing in on this. And I don't blame him. I'd be the same way, man. Uh, and I think when you remove the fun from, because I, I just don't know how fun it is for these guys. That's what I can't quite figure out. I don't think it's fun. I, I, I don't think it's, I think being at the ballpark might be, but I think going on road trips sucks. You sit in a room, you really shouldn't move. Right. Yeah. And you think, and, and look, if you're a, to, to use, your term, cerebral guy, right? You can only watch so much TV, and you probably sit there at times and just think, what am I doing here? Like, I'm playing a sport. I can't move from my hotel room. Uh, there are no fans there. Some of my teammates probably don't care. Like, I mean, th- think about this. You play for Cleveland. Clevenger flew back on that plane knowing full well he had been exposed. How pissed off would you be? And, and I'm sorry, but if I play for a team and I'm a smart dude and I'm being careful, my first thought, Jake, is which one of these Joker teammates of mine did the exact thing that Clevenger did? Yep. All of that, to me, is an enormous distraction. Yeah, and with Clevenger, God, you've got Carlos Carrasco on that yeah, team and on that plate. I mean, that's, that's awful. Um, but, yeah, so I, I – I, 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 I mentioned this on the last podcast, but in Pittsburgh, when I was covering those two games, I walked by the team bus and they were all, they had just loaded uh, onto the team bus and they were all just sitting there with their masks on, staring straight ahead. And that, that image just really struck me. Like is, are the road trips in particular, just like, it feels almost like you're a prisoner. I would imagine like you get shuttled straight from the clubhouse to a bus straight to your hotel room, which you can't leave. Maybe you can leave to go to another roommate's hotel room, but that's it. I mean, it's, it, it takes so much of the fun out of it. And even the games, I'm sure those are the best parts, but with no fans, I mean, you're struggling to, to get energy up. I mean, Christian Yelich to me looks like a guy, I've watched a fair amount of the Brewers this year. He didn't look engaged at all. Like no. he lost the ball in the sun, <laughs> just laughing about it. And like, he's like swinging through 90 mile an hour fastballs. I wonder if he's just like, whatever, checked out, you know, like he just saw Lorenzo Kane, their starting center fielder opt out. Uh, you know, guys like that, I, and I don't blame them. I, again, I'd probably be the same way, but, but I do think that affects some guys more than others, and it seems like, based on Garver's comments and his play on the field so far, that maybe it's affecting him. The hope is that when they get to September and there's a playoff race and then into October, that they'll yep. be able to really lock in for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that is why I am encouraging, and there have been reports about this in the past week or so, I am encouraging the prospect of bubble baseball for the playoffs. You know what? Bubble hockey and basketball, Jake, has been great. It's, mm-hmm. been, absolutely, it's been absolutely great. Players aren't getting sick. Um, the productions, to me, are fabulous. They're great. 
I love the day long urgency of NCAA basketball tournament. You know, let's let's uh, um, drop the puck or tip the ball off at noon central, one central. I really believe that the best thing that they could possibly do for baseball is once you get down to that um, 16 total playoff teams, find a place, find two or three stadiums, bubbles, and take players there. Because I do think if you have players in, in safety zones, I think there's probably more confidence then. I think what's weird about baseball is you're traveling out in the open world, and so you're like, am I really safe in Pittsburgh here, right? So I do think that baseball should go back to the TV partners and say, we will give you primetime games. Don't be concerned about that. But we also are going to bubbles, and we're going to start at one. And guess what? Personally, as a fan, I love that. But I think everyone in baseball would benefit if once we get to the playoffs, they go with a they find a place to go with a bubble format and don't give me – you know, game one in Minneapolis coming up, followed by game one. And no, no, no. Give me bubbles. Bubbles in 2020. There's, it's so weird. They actually might work. So here, here, I've been thinking a lot about the bubble idea since Passing came out with that report. And by the way, uh, cheap plug for us. We were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And I but, love it. But I've, I've been thinking a lot about the playoff bubble thing. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the NBA and NHL players have to report to the bubble and have like at least a one-week period where they were just in quarantine before they started playing? I think the basketball people did. Uh, uh, Canada, which had a 14-day quarantine in your room before, play, before pe- people could leave, they waived that for hockey. Okay. So, but, they went into a, but they all went into a secluded bubble. Like there's no – the bubble is it. So right. like you can't just go out. So, like, if you established the, the same thing in baseball, we're talking about essentially quarantining players with themselves. Um, so it basically it basically makes the public safe if players have COVID, but in turn it keeps the players safe because they're not going out in the public, if that makes sense. No, no, and I get all that, but here's my, here's my issue with it. The playoffs are supposed to start two days after the regular season ends. So theoretically, these teams all play in their normal cities on Sunday – and fly that night to the bubble, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're playing playoff games two days later. Well, without that seven-day or whatever quarantine period, you could have teams that are asymptomatic come into the bubble and infect everyone else, right? Because you're not going to have enough time to quarantine for a week or two and make sure that nobody actually has this. So if one team, like the Cardinals, uh, you know, fly to the bubble – and all of a sudden, there's an outbreak three days after they arrived, and they've been sharing clubhouses with five other teams. The bubble could potentially destroy all of it, right? So, like, I'm very much pro-bubble if they do it right, but I don't know that you can just fly everybody in from all over the country and start playing immediately because that sort of negates the whole purpose of a bubble, which is that you test and quarantine for, like, a week and make sure everybody really is safe before you start playing the games. So I think hockey did it where they flew them in did those quick tests, but those aren't started, accurate. Those aren't, and then started accurate. playing. Right, but but I I, th- I think hockey risked it a little bit and just said we'll, we'll take that risk um, to start because they definitely got the uh, the Canadian government to waive the two week quarantine. And I, I want to say hockey went in for it might have been a week, but I mean, can, can we find a, a way then to? do something with baseball where I, I just really like the idea of creating the urgency of a playoff as opposed to, I'm still far more concerned about traveling teams around. Oh. And, and the problem is this, the Cleveland thing is, is sad, 
and disturbing, but it's not surprising, right? I mean, that's the one thing is if you have, you know, 20 year old males and you tell them all you cannot leave your hotel room the majority of them might be like okay cool and then there's going to be the two guys who say that's fine that's cool and go out so no i totally agree and i'm very very much pro bubble i just think you have to do it right or it has the potential to totally backfire because if you're going to bring everybody together into one or two bubbles you have to make damn sure that nobody has it before they that's true your confidence that um that hill or bailey are going to return to the Twins rotation, and I'll just base it on this, anytime soon. <laughs> so well, I won't even give you a time period. Anytime soon for Homer or Rich Hill to return to the rotation. I mean, the news on Hill sounds good, right? They're reporting that he threw a bullpen and felt great. Uh, there have been reports that he's been like, that it's sort of a joke that he's like paying players or whatever to go tell Rocco how good he looked in his bullpen. Uh, he's going to pitch to hitters in St. Paul, I think, early on in this homestand. Um, so assuming all that goes well, I would, I would, the assumption would be that he would be back in the rotation by the end of the week, uh, or I'm sorry, the end of next week, I guess, because it's Friday today. I never know what day it is anymore. Um, so I guess the, the news is good on Hill. I just, you know, of course you have to wonder, um, is he going to have inflammation after he pitches to, to live hitters? Is he going to have inflammation or have some sort of issue after he makes one start? So it's just a total wait and see on Hill. Um, but I think based on the reports that we've seen, we'll see him for at least another start here in the coming week. Bailey, it sounds like, has just started throwing a baseball again. So I feel yes. like he's at least two weeks off minimum. He stayed here too. Hill right. traveled. Exactly. Bailey stayed in Minneapolis. Exactly. He didn't even go on the road trip, unlike Hill. So I, think, I don't think we'll see him for a while. Pineda's due back on, I believe, August 31st uh, is the first day he's eligible. So that's only a couple of weeks away. Uh, So I think they are going to get some reinforcements here soon. Um, But it's just wait and see on those guys. I mean, how can you – I love Rich Hill. He's a great pitcher when he pitches, but how can you trust that he's going to stay healthy? I mean – I still still think that that your um, perspective from the outset on Hill is correct. I don't – I think there's wear and tear, and I think he's sporting, and I think he's damn old. But I think that this is a long play. Yes. Bailey, I buy something's gone wrong. And look, if it has, it, it has. Too bad. Yeah. Uh, Hill, I believe, is a long play. And, and I think this is strategic. And I think it's why he traveled. And I think it, it's why now there's this joke about, you know, tell Rocco I'm fine. I think this is all an elaborate, in some ways, ruse to back him up as much as possible. And it's probably a ruse that Hill is in on. And I would be willing to bet that if we could, and we obviously can't, if we could get our hands on, on his adjusted contract, I'd be willing to bet that there is no penalty for it. Um, this just, it makes too much sense. It's, it's because, yeah, okay, he's old and, and tired and run down. Um, but if you look at the um, prospect of what could pay off, to your point, in the playoffs, if you do this right, it's absolutely huge. Uh, so going back, to what you said, I don't think it was on the last show, I think it was probably two weeks ago or so, about this almost being a plan with Hill. I'm buying that. Phil thinks we're crazy. Mackie thinks we're wrong. He thinks he's just hurt. Um, the, twins are, the Twins are very creative, and the Twins are very smart. And look, what is the, what is the rush to say, well, Rich Hill was tired, but we pitched him. It doesn't oh, make oh, a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. 
But listen, if Rich Hill makes one start in that three-game series and pitches, say, five scoreless or six innings and gives you two runs, the entire contract was worth it for Correct. one good start in that three-game series. Absolutely. And, that, and, and I'm sure that's the way they look at it. Now, if they, if they go on a big losing streak and suddenly they're fighting for a playoff spot, then you push him back. Uh, you push him, what I mean is you push him back into competition earlier. But sure. if they continue to you know, be relatively comfortable in first place or have a, a playoff spot looks fine, then it's, a, it's an absolute long play to keep him healthy in October. Now, here's my next question to you, Judd Zolgad. Is Kevin yeah. Maeda, well, I'm priming you. Who is your game one starter right now? If the season ended today, who's your game one starter? Kenta is. Yeah. He definitely is. And, and, you know, let's stop. I see this. Every time Gratterall now comes in for the Dodgers and throws gas. We know he throws gas, okay? Okay, folks, we know that. But I saw, I see these tweets. You know, did you see this breaking ball? Did you see the, the, uh, the gun on Gratterall? Might be fantastic. But this is why you have prospects, and this is why you make trades like this. And, and Maeda might never be a true ace. But what he has brought is a guy who can pitch every fifth day. He's brought a guy who is a professional. He brought a guy. You know, the thing that I loved about Hill start and Kenta's first start was, you know what they are? They're pitchers. They're not throwers, right? They, they are guys who understand the craft perfectly uh, because they've been on the block of what is required for them to be successful now ideally my answer to your question would clearly be jose barrios jake what are you talking about are you an idiot yeah it's got to be barrios no but it doesn't have to be and and right now maeda looks great he's mentally way stronger than barrios is uh game one of a three game basically i have to win game one right now it's Kenta. and if if he can pitch my game two might be Rich Hill. Who knows? I mean, you could. I make, mean, ideally it's Jake, but it might be Rich Hill. I don't know. You could make an, I think, a fair argument that if Rich Hill is healthy right now and the season ended today, that you go Maeda game one, Hill game two, Dobnik game three. I can't. I can't keep ignoring Randy Dobnik. And honestly, I'm gonna. I'm going to trump myself up here for a second. I was, I wrote about him before anybody did uh, when he was in double a, because I had looked at his numbers and thought, Oh my God, this guy is putting up ridiculous numbers. He's a great story. Uh, I'm going to write something about him. I never anticipated he'd become this, but you, you can't ignore the numbers. I mean, is some regression coming? Of course, his career ERA is like one. Uh, so obviously some regression is coming, but that guy, you talked about pitchers versus throwers. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to attack hitters. He knows exactly what his strengths are. Uh, and he induces a ton of weak contact. And I know that's not the name of the game in 2020, but my God, the number of ground balls the guy gets, I mean, he has heavy sink on that. On that Gardy would have loved him, man. Oh, Gardy would have oh. loved this pitch to contact. He's a pitch to contact machine. Oh, he is. But, I mean, look, regression is inevitable when you don't strike out a lot of guys. Um, He's been unbelievable. I mean, he's been the best pitcher in the American League yeah. statistically. So you, I think you have, he has to be part of that plan at this point if he keeps this up. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah, you probably start Barrios over, over Randy Dobnik in a playoff series. But just based on their productivity, I mean. Right Dob now, though, I think you're right. Right now, I don't think that you can, can you? I, I, yeah, I, I don't think you can. I mean, Barrios hasn't shown it yet. He's, I think mentally he's struggling, and maybe he's struggling – uh, for the same reasons like Garver is, but he just doesn't seem like he's all, he's all there. I, I, he gets flustered. I, 
his pitch selection is weird to me. I don't know. He, I'm still, and he, look, he's only 25. I think he's a very good pitcher. Um, and I think he's still figuring things out. Uh, but in a three game series, you have to go with, with who's pitching well at the time. And right yes. now that's my and Dobnik. They're the yes. two best. They're, I saw there's a ESPN does like a Cy Young predictor. Number one, Cy Young predictor, Kenta Maeda. Number two, Randy Dobnik. You're kidding me. No. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Maeda's been great so far. I give him credit. Uh, he, he's got, what, seven different pitches oh, or, or, or variations. He's, he's got the, the uh, delivery where he pauses, which I think throws guys off. And, look, I, I don't, don't know. The second time he faces certain teams, they might, you know, they might be prepared. But so far from what I've seen, it's impressive. Last thing before we uh, get done here. Yeah. Um, give me your odds. If, if you are going to um, put a bet on this one, if you were going to put a bet, Josh Donaldson, what odds do you put that we – and this is going to be a bold statement. What odds do you put that we see him again in the 2020 COVID-shortened season? Wow. Wow, that we see him going to Vegas. You're going to Vegas, and it's up on the board. Josh Donaldson, what are you going to put that we see him again with a cap problem that's been a very frequent problem, as we talked about before on the show, that you see him again this season? Wow. Um, that we see him again this season, I'll say 60%. 60%. I think it's more likely than not, but I think not seeing him again this season is in the equation. It has to be because he's missed huge yeah. chunks of time with calf injuries in the past where we only have what 41 games left in the regular season. Um, so do I anticipate seeing him again? Yes. Will the twins tell the media that, that we're absolutely going to see him again? Of course they will because they downplay injuries um, constantly, but he I might play tonight, Jake. What's that? I said, he, he could play tonight. You just don't know. Right, okay? right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's been running. He's been running around. You know, he looks really good. We're going to hold him out for a couple more days here, but we don't anticipate this being a long-term thing. Well, guess what? Uh, they said that they carried him on the entire road trip, and they didn't IL him until uh, he had already been out of action for like a week. So, I don't know. I, I think I think he'll be back, but he he could reactivate it when he's rehabbing, and that could be it. I don't think they acquire Vargas, the, uh, Var- the backup infielder from the Diamond. I can't pronounce his first name. Don't don't ask me. I cannot pronounce his first name. And I, yeah, and and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure I, I couldn't either. Although I think it, I think we need to make an effort to try. Um, we should. Yeah, but um, I don't think they acquire him uh, if if Don, if they anticipate Donaldson coming back in the next week or so. That scared me. That trade scared me because yep. of what it meant potentially for Josh Donaldson. I think this is a, a major concern. And if he comes back in say mid September, mm-hmm. what's his timing going to be like? Because his timing, if you remember. The first week of the season, he was way, really up the plate. He was really scuffling. Maybe that was the injury, but maybe it was just that he hadn't gotten his timing yet. And so that's, that's another concern. Yeah, and the one thing that I think, and this should be true for the, the Twins and teams across the board, Jake, the one thing that has to be true in 2020 is in no way, shape, or form should you risk uh, the long-term health of a player in 2020 um, for the sake of this year. Like if you have – if you have, and, and the, the Twins are, are – uh, probably among the most cautious teams in baseball. But if you have a player and you say, well, we could play him right now, but it's going to put part of or all of or a portion of 2021 in jeopardy, I think you have to err on the side of caution. 
because I mean, we're seeing, you know, pitchers left and right going down, right. We're seeing guys get hurt a lot. Um, and so I really think there's nothing that's going to be worth winning in 2020 uh, to have a player who is a potential star or a very good player, not be able to play in part of 21. So, you know, Ordinarily, I'd say, well, if you can win the World Series and you bring Donaldson back, and it might be risking it a bit, but it's worth it. I don't think there's any scenario that you could give me uh, for this fall where I say, okay, if Donaldson comes back and they win the World Series in 2020, but he can't play, let's say, until June or July of next year, I don't do that. This is the one year where I say, look, do what you can do. I'm glad baseball's back, but I'm taking no long-term chances for the sake of a 60-game season followed by a funky, it should be fun, but nonetheless funky playoff format. So your, what's your percent chance? Give me, a, give me a number. For the rest of the season, I think there is a, a – Twins are incredibly cautious, okay? So knowing that, I say there's a 70% chance because I'm not convinced he won't come back and tweak it. Yeah. Like he'll try and do, do something in St. Paul. He'll try and do something. I think he is one tweak away from them – saying not worth it and and i go back to this it's a four-year contract and he's not a kid like i can't i can't risk him washing out in year one of a covid shortened season um with that contract yeah the contract's too big and he's too potentially important to my long-term success so i say because of how the twins go about their business 70 percent, which i don't like and is probably too high but i really think that you have to be smart here yeah his personality plays into it too though he's going to push to come back he's absolutely absolutely but he's also a smart guy and so he'll push to come back but i wonder if if he knows that the price of poker for this year is different like in a 162 in playoffs i think he'd really push Um, i think you could convince him pretty simply dude it's not worth it here i mean this is this is a one-off fun type of year i'm glad sports is back but there's no sport that's going on right now that I think a major risk is worth it. I will say this, though. I think the players will get really into the postseason tournament. I think that's going to be really fun, and they're going to want to be a part of that. And, and you know what? This whole, whole thing of, of the bubbles and playoffs are fun. Um, but if I'm Falvey, Levine, Rocco, I'm still saying this is fun. But Longview, we signed you for four years. And we want those last three at maximum performance. Yep. I mean, this guy has torn his calves left and right. That's a huge concern. I mean, this is a problem. And the last thing I want is, is you know, he comes back and contributes a little bit. And now we sort of hobbled through 2021. And now he's what, by 2022, if you're playing, he's 35, 36. Like, there's a lot of long-term things to think of here. Um, It also scares me that that he clearly got hurt, either running the bases against Cleveland in that uh, Friday night game or fielding a ball. Like, if it popped that simply or potentially popped, that is is really, really worrisome. Cause for pause, Judd Zolgad. Exactly right. Final thoughts? I'm done. You? No, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're kind of into the heart of the season now. And, and uh, the Twins have had a remarkably normal season to this point, And let's hope that continues. Although I do uh, want to see extra innings. I want to see extra where's innings. Where's the what? Who runs now? Right field. Uh, he's gone. 
Who yeah, else? I, guess, I guess Cave. I guess Jake Cave. I wanted to see the really fast kid. I know. He got one at bat. Aaron Whitefield got one at bat. He swung at the first pitch. I didn't need to see him hit. I just wanted to see, you know, yeah. go to the 10th, and he's on second. Cruz made, made the last out, something like that. All yeah. right, uh, Score North Twin Show, we are done for this episode. Back next week. Um, also, if you could join us uh, on our production meeting, uh, Jake DePew, we are going to do one um, a live, an, a last call live on Twitter, uh, Twitch, I believe, and Facebook after the Twins complete their series. Or actually, you know what? No, game three of their series against the Royals on Sunday because it's a four-game series that's going to conclude on Monday. That's a long way of saying the score in our twin show. We're done. He's Jake. I'm Judd. Talk to you soon.